Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm Deputy Editor Sherlyn Lowe. This week... Max and space, so much. Oi, so so much news. We've, we've apples in space. Apples, uh, yeah, that's true. Apple, Max in space. So many things. Uh, we we've got uh, MacBook Air M2 to talk about. I just reviewed that. We've got Apple OS betas, and we've also got the first images from the James Webb Space Telescope to dive into. And we've got a special guest to chat about that. As always, folks, if you're enjoying the Engadget podcast, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, I, I insist, please do that because that's actually super helpful. Um, and also drop us an email at podcastandengadget.com. You can also join us Thursdays, typically around 10 a.m. Eastern on our YouTube channel for a live broadcast of the show. You can ask questions. Uh, we'll have some Q&A. It's always a fun time. Let's move on to our first big Apple topic of the week, the MacBook Air M2. Mm-hmm. The newest one was just, uh, reviews are out. My review is up uh, as of the morning of this recording. I basically spent this entire week just like sitting and thinking about Apple stuff. So that is, uh, I wish that was more fun. I wish the time crunch wasn't so bad. But uh, hey, MacBook Air reviews are out. I really like this one. If you I, guys, see you, I see uh, you call it near perfect again, yeah. Devendra. Wow. This is, uh, I mean, I haven't used near perfect before, but I, I have used like, you know, the, the close to perfect <laughs> for the XPS 13s. Uh, I am banned from using that word now, but it's uh, <laughs> turns out this is a pretty good computer and it is basically the the direct inverse to like all the issues I have with the MacBook Pro 13. Uh, this one does have the M2 chip, of course, um, but the MacBook Pro 13 was just the old case. It was like all the old hardware, just really... Really sad and disappointing. Uh, This one is a nice, thin new case, thin all the way through. It weighs 2.7 pounds. It has a slightly larger screen. It's 13.6 inches, and you can really feel it. It feels more expansive. Um, When I held this thing for the first time, it just felt like, it felt like I was holding an iPad with a keyboard, right? And I was like, oh, that, that's interesting. And then I went back and read uh, Chris Velasco's coverage of, uh, of the Smartfolio, you know, that came out for the 12.9-inch iPad Pro. That thing with the iPad Pro weighs three pounds. So the iPad, which was supposed to be the sort of like, hey, this is the future of computing, ultralight, ultra-portable computing, guys. When that thing came out, it was already heavier than the MacBook Air. Now this MacBook Air is even lighter. Um, yeah. Just 
think that's hilarious. Uh, so, I like this computer a lot. Like it, it is functionally better than the MacBook Pro in so many ways. It actually gives you um, another port for power. The MagSafe port is back, so you're not using a USB-C port when you're charging. Uh, it has a 1080p webcam, which is fine. It's not as good as like I think some we've seen some PCs. It's just really nice all around. It feels so good. I feel like holding this computer is like, my God, I'm holding the future in my hands uh, in a way that like my the first MacBook Air I bought in like 2011, 2012 did. Uh, what do you, you played a little bit with this, Sherlyn. Yeah. Like, what, are you, what are you thinking about this computer? Man, I mean, I, I'm curious about the M2 performance. I'm sure we'll get into that. I, I like the redesign. It looks more, I guess it just got sick of the wedge, even though I think if you put them side by side, uh, like out of time i would have been like oh maybe i prefer the wedge design right but but this with the slightly thinner bezels at least up top you've kind of have to have the notch for the webcam um not it's, just fine it's, but not just it's great fine because it's right, on the it's, title bar the title bar exactly. doesn't matter yeah doesn't get in the way of a lot of things it's it's it, it's it looks fine like in in terms of design i think it's fine i i wish the usb-c ports were like one on either side as opposed yes. to like both on the same side agreed agreed yeah um it's i'm glad you agree thing. yeah no okay. i totally agree because it's uh i've talked to apple about this and they were like basically the the way the main board is constructed uh mm-hmm. It would, it would have to be longer to bring USB-C to the other side. It would be less efficient. This is one of the like, smallest uh, motherboards Apple says that they've ever made. Uh, the volume of this machine is about 20% less than the old MacBook Air. And uh, it is, like, at the thickest point, the old Air was actually thinner, like, when the wedge goes really, really low, like, towards the top. Um, but overall, you know, overall, this is, like, thinner overall. There, there is no big hump it just feels um, it feels more balanced. It feels like the difference between holding, you know, like a really nicely made chef's knife or something and holding something that is like from Walmart, you know, just like really <laughs> clunky and kludgy. So it, it is weird to say that about the MacBook Air because I like I've liked the MacBook Air for so long. But this one is just so much better. It's a great computer. Um, everybody asking me about computer buying advice. If you're buying a Mac, just get this one. Ignore the 13. Like, just. Yeah entirely uh we we were going to talk about performance um you know mm. it's faster for the most part it is just as fast as the macbook pro 13 inch the M- it's the same m2 chip uh through games um i ran the shadow of the tomb raider benchmark like it hit 30 fps with medium settings and 1080p playable totally fine uh geekbench all the other benchmarks like show the same basic level of performance so it's going to be fast especially for like you know things you're doing really quickly uh, the only place where I saw a little bit of slowdown compared to the MacBook Pro 13-inch was the multi-threaded test in Cinebench R21. And Cinebench is like, it is a heavy-duty, uh, it's a heavy-duty benchmark that's sort of like you're you're actually, um, you know, crunching a lot of data. Like you're encoding a video or doing something really hardcore. And this computer does get warm and it doesn't have a fan. So if it does get warm, uh, then it kind of throttles down the CPU a little to to kind of like you know, keep hidden. And that's just something you'll just have to deal with, you know, like, I, I don't think most people will be doing hardcore <laughs> video editing for very long with this computer. Air anyway, yeah, yeah, on the MacBook Air, you could, you still could It'd just be a little slower than the MacBook Pro 13 inch. Um, and if you really do want to do that stuff, then yeah, don't still don't get the 13. inch. like just save up, uh, look at the MacBook Pro 14 inch, that is going to be a much better computer for you guys. Um, but for everybody else, like for 90, 95% of people, this is like the Mac to get. It is a perfect little ultra portable 
I love everything about it. Great screen. Like it has better speakers. It has a quad speaker yes. setup. Like it's gonna say, just, yeah, they 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 did, they did everything right except uh, there is no promotion, of course, because that that is more reserved for like MacBook Pros and the the beefier MacBook Pros. But once Apple gets that in, because everybody wants to get like higher refresh rates into their laptop soon, uh, this will actually be perfect you know but i can't, I can't use that in headlines anymore unfortunately it's just, uh, this is my last one. I, I, I i waged this war against the word perfect in your headlines i will admit i'm the one that's like what is devendra say perfect all the time yeah i'm sorry laptops, i have but, creative um, headlines sherlyn <laughs> wow. god perfect I, so creative i have um. i have feelings <laughs> and uh excitement about things well what have you been testing what was your headline for ios 16's beta Sherlyn. Fun. It was fun, useful, and I forget my last adjective for it. I picked three, but uh, oh, we'll a get fun, into that. useful, and promising update. Oh, pro- that's, she is promising. That's so exciting. She's promising so young exciting, woman. Sherlyn. At least it's another you, P word. Uh, what did you think about the iOS 16 beta? <laughs> oh, we're going into that now. Okay. Um, yeah. The beta uh, dropped on, I believe, Monday, and all the betas dropped actually Monday. You did a macOS Ventura preview. I did the iOS 16 and WatchOS 9 preview. So the iOS 16 beta. I was just like, whoa. I mean, this is only, what, my second year really taking over the uh, Apple reins from Chris Velasco. May he rest in peace. And uh, he... (laughs) He he didn't die. He went to another place. I know. He went over to another... He's dead to us now. Yeah. Metaphorically, he's dead in my mind. But he... (laughs) so, So I just... You know, I'm used to Android betas being like incredibly buggy. So a lot oh, yeah. of features are not there, that sort of stuff. But I mean, you're iOS just used to beta. Android being incredibly buggy too. So like, let alone the betas. <laughs> I mean, gaslit so hard, but no, I'm kidding. Um, so no, so the iOS beta was again just surprisingly all the features that you'd expect were there. Right, the new lock screen is there. Uh, you can already uh, you know futz around, create new ice screens, tie them to focus modes, put new widgets around the clock, change the clock typeface, the notifications come up from the bottom now, and they kind of tuck away when you're not looking at them um i did discover a few bugs here and there that i flagged to apple and they're like oh thanks for letting us know so basically i'm beta testing this for all of you to make sure that things work uh one of the one of the things i found out uh seems like a bug to me is that when you use passcode instead of face id as your way of unlocking the phone you don't actually get to access the lock screen editor because it requires your phone to exist in the unlocked state but not be on the home page and still remain on the lock page. So it, it is. It's weird. Yeah. It's it's yeah. It's kind of fussy for now. So I, I think Apple may be looking into how to make that work. Uh, but for now, you definitely need to have like Face ID set up to play with lock screens. I also went kind of unhinged uh, <laughs> when I made the That's lead image. That's completely uncharacteristic. <laughs> but okay. Oh yeah, no, never, never. I'm such a hinged person normally. Um, no, I, I. So I started playing with this feature called Visual Lookup. Where it's the one where you, if you long press on a picture, the subject uh, highlights and it gets cut out. You can paste it somewhere else. Uh, so I was playing around with it. Oh, man. Oh, so much fun. I don't even... I, there's a video coming. Y'all should watch the video. I just keep pasting pictures of Brian, our video producer, to everyone. <laughs> You've got a lot of like, like attractive photos of Brian like his, <laughs> yes. with his model shots on in your yes. preview. Good job. Uh, yeah. Good way to highlight Brian. <laughs> I, I have been playing around with this, too. It is... This is nice. Uh, another thing I've noticed, like I have the iPhone 13 Pro and it seems like there are more animations throughout. So whenever you're doing anything, like selecting a little bit of text, uh, popping up, a, you know, holding down a button, popping up a menu, it's a little more vibrant. It's a little more alive. Like there's just more animation going on. That's probably not a good thing for older phones. I don't know if they're going to like s- slow it down or you kind of scale it back. But for the newer phones, especially if you have ProMotion, 
it is just smooth. It is just more alive in many ways. The lock screen thing is really cool. I really dig it. I'm not a fan of the font they're using for Yeah, I don't time. like the fonts at all. Yeah. They need to they the, need the to, options like, you get eight options. Yeah. They're yeah, mm-hmm. they're all like the I think the best, the least offensive one to me is just like this thin sans serif yes. kind of yes. yeah, it's it's kinda okay. I do like the um, way like the clock will hide like it, it acts as like an image layer so it can like hide behind photos too. Like it is really slick how they're doing some of this. Yeah. 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 And it, 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 people who have used the Apple Watch will find it all very familiar. I mean, portrait faces for a watch have existed. You can always have that effect of the of the subject of your uh, image kind of hover in front of the time uh, on your on your wallpaper and your screen. Uh, I'll, I'll get to watch us. In a little bit, because there's still so much more to talk about on iOS 16. This is also like the the challenging, the challenge in putting this preview together was that like everything Apple said would be there was there. And that's like everything from the big changes like lock screen and visual lookup or even like a, a messages undo, send and edit, which again, we'll get to in a bit. There was like, they redesigned maps, the weather app looks new, like just little things and those like interface changes you mentioned, uh, Devendra too. So I couldn't get into all of it. I was like hoping to use the podcast to talk about more of it. But um, there is like iCloud photo sharing, family sharing um, that I did. There's so much. So yeah. Yeah, so much. But let's get into messages a little bit, right? Like we've been waiting, I guess if you're in the iMessage world, waiting for uh, edit and undo send options. Um I would just say like testing this was fun, but I don't know how much I'm going to use it in the real world because you have like a 15 minute window to be able to undo your message or, or, or edit it. And then afterwards you can't. So like this isn't here for like shady purposes. This is really like if you made a mistake, you want to like not bother people with too many pings. Right, you can right, right. do it in the moment. But if you're like. And you do it like in line, like right in the actual message, which is pretty slick. I kind of like that. Yeah. For now, though, those who are on iOS 15, because this is still the public beta of iOS 16, those who are still on iOS 15 will get an additional message saying yeah. you edited your It's your more text. It's more annoying because I was trying it with some friends. It's sort of like what happens to some Android users when, yep. like, if you if you put an emoji Remote on a message or something. Reaction. like Yeah. Yep. Uh, they're treating old iOS people like Android people, and that is, uh, that's just harsh, harsh in Apple. I enjoy it. I, I, I am enjoying that. I literally wrote that line in my preview where I was like, just like how Android people would see you when you react to their messages with emoji. It was great. Um Messages also, there's a, it's not just messages. The whole system has a new dictation experience uh, that's very similar to what you get with Android on the Pixel 6. Uh, you can like dictate and have your message being transcribed while the keyboard is still open now. So instead of changing into like a waveform animation, the keyboards, the QWERTY keyboard stays around uh, and you can edit words as you're, as you're narrating or dictating. So that's nice. Um, it's still kind of like like not really there in some places like the app store search bar but i you know this is again beta software which like, this is a good time as any to tell y'all don't go and install beta software eh, if eh. You, i the Where? my phone's already been like acting up a little bit because i just keep like i had to do screen recordings for our video that's gonna come up soon and uh already like it just there's so many bugs while i was recording my phone was running super hot uh the phone i was testing it on so you know, you might encounter it's some early bugs. software. It's it's early, it's early software. software. I will say the public beta, which most people have access to now, is a uh, is basically the third developer beta. So like you're not you're not very early on. Like the first and second developer betas, betas are, are usually the harsh ones, and you should just never touch them. Uh, the public beta is like yeah, if you can live with a, a little bit of bugginess, like it's been fine for me so far. Um, but yeah, be careful, folks. 
couple other things I wanted to point out. Like, uh, I was interested to see like how the new medications logging thing would work. The uh, basically this is in the Apple Health app where you can now keep an eye on your the pills that you have to take every day, and the you know everything like behaved as expected it was like oh you and you search or look up your your medication uh or you can scan a label and then it'll pick pull it up and then you know add your dosage choose a pill color like the most fun part was like picking your pill shape and color right but like there's parts of this that i wish apple had thought off for example if you are i don't know some you you're on antibiotics and you want to you know, you need to put two week course in there to remind yourself, hey, after meals, you need to whatever, right? So, and then this is not a permanent or long term medication. This is a short term thing. Apple allows you to set a start date, but not an end date. So it doesn't like automatically go away. You have to go into the entry for the medication itself, scroll all the way down, and then select delete medication after you're done and you don't want to receive the reminders anymore. So it's built with, I think, chronic cases in mind and not necessarily for these like, you know, one-off illness type things. And the other thing is, as I mentioned before, I have drug allergies. They don't really give you a way to like flag that in the system yet. Really? Um, that seems like yeah. the first thing I would think of. I was mm. thinking that too, but I guess yeah. like the assumption is that like, if you have drug allergies, no one's going to dispense you exactly what you're allergic to anyway. But I'm like, mm. I mean, for me, like, for example, this is a like a, not what I'm actually allergic to, but a, like a, like a random example. Let's say I'm allergic to penicillin, which is something that, is close to what I'm actually allergic to. Um, my doctors will know to not prescribe me penicillin, but would penicillin appear in some other medication over the counter that I might, I don't know, like that sort of thing. You you kind of imagine it wouldn't happen, but you never know. So it's like, I would love to see Apple kind of like take heed and do something with that. Um, and then they can really own, I think the health space, honestly, if they really wanted to like really comprehensively take over, they could. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know about taking over, but certainly it is an important thing. Like people lose track of their medications, like the potentially life-saving stuff tied to your Apple watch. Um, what I would love is actually like an Apple like pill box or something like something to actually make, like make it all fully, fully connected. That'd be something. Um, because, uh, I know people, I know people there, there are some, they're not great. They're, they're kind of annoying. Um, but that would be like the perfect way to like get it all going together. Uh, is there anything else you want to mention about iPad OS or iOS? I, we, iOS. Got, we got so much stuff. I know. No, no, no. I think, I'm, I mean, there, again, like I said, there's a lot more coming. There's a, I tried out the new live captions accessibility feature. It's there's cool. still some other. That's ex- cool. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it, the implementation is really good compared to the version on Android. Um, but I'll, I'll get into that in a little bit. I will, I also want to try out door detection in the visual lookup or the assistive tech feature, um, as well as sound recognition. But I didn't get around to testing those yet. There's some good accessibility updates here that i want to look at yeah yeah i i the live captions i think for a lot of people also especially because so many people are just like watching netflix with captions now too like it, it is like the the new standard when you're seeing video you kind of want to have like a little bit of assistance there that is super useful uh i want to quickly just talk about ventura mac os ventura uh, i tested that and uh the main thing here is stage manager and this is the point where i will tell you all that I have been using Mac OS X, OS X, uh, since it came out in 2001. And ever since that day, I have hated the dock. I hate the dock. It is. It's annoying. The Mac dock is bad when it comes to Windows management. If you wanted to get, like, uh, here, here's my example. 
you have like several Safari windows open. Uh, you're running in another app. You want to get back to a specific window. How do you do that in the dock? You have to click the dock. You have to like option click the dock. Hit a little drop down menu like a, like a freaking like like a loser. A drop down menu, <laughs> um, and then then you find you then you get to your window. It's like three or four clicks. Uh, windows XP was ugly as sin compared to Mac OS X, but it's the title bar right there. Yep, it's right there. the title bar. It's right there, right there. Um, And I never got over that. And I think Apple realized that the dock was kind of just messy for management. So in 2003, they launched Expose, which is the feature that lets you like blow up all the windows and basically see like, Every window you have open, every win- every window for the specific application you have open. And ever since that came out, that has been religiously the way I use Macs, right? I set up hot corners. Uh, I don't even touch the dock. I do hot corners to get to all my windows and deal with that. Stage Manager is kind of another step in that direction. It is a left-hand uh, side, like, visual menu that shows you your, like, four most recent applications. And you can, like, just tap it to jump right back into that application when you hit it. It minimizes all the other windows. It centers the app that you're looking for. So it's actually very much a feature that looks like it was made for iPad. But I talked to Apple people and they were like, no, this this was a Mac idea first. It is in the new iPad OS. So that is a thing. If you're going to be running um, uh, an M1 iPad of any kind, you'll be able to use Stage Manager there. And just being able to like quickly access apps, uh, if you hit a stage manager you know, button multiple times, you will cycle between windows for that app. It is just so much nicer. So now, now what I would like to do is just minimize the dock entirely, throw stage manager to the left, and now I have an easier way to move around Macs. So you can also like group apps together. So I like to do Evernote and Safari together for research and writing at the same time. It remembers that you can create app groups. Uh, it, it, it is 2022. And Apple has finally figured out a way to solve like Windows management on Macs. Uh, c- congratulations, I guess. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to like throw shade, but like, cool. So much shade. Well I'll throw done. all the shade. I'll throw all the shade. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, deal with it, Mac users. I know you're probably mad at me. Um, I know keyboard shortcuts exist. You know what you have to do for keyboard shortcuts? You have to keep hitting them. It's not just like one click. You have to like tap, 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 control, alt, or uh, is it control tab? Command um, tab. And there there are a couple tab. other, yeah, command yeah. tab. I don't want to do multiple taps. I want to click. I want to just like move my mouse and click on something. Uh, so anyway, Stage Manager, a big upgrade. And it's also really good with helping you focus. So because it throws away all the other apps. Uh, when I'm writing, I like to just look at the app I'm writing on, probably usually Evernote. Uh, so that's good. Um, they also updated mail on the same messages, update the same like SharePlay stuff going to iOS will be on Macs too. I did get an early version of the continuity camera mount, which lets you mount a camera on your MacBook um, to basically use your iPhone as a webcam. It has not worked for me yet. So when uh, when it does work, I know some people have gotten it working. Um, I will I'll test it out. It seems like a cool idea, but it's also like really weird, right? Like, like it is a very unApple idea. First of all, to have this other accessory out there. Yes. Also, yeah. to sort of admit that your cameras suck on right on laptops. Yeah. Uh, and also, I think a lot of people are like, if I'm in a video chat and I don't want to pay attention to you know Sherlyn talking or something, I will I will like play around on my phone. I will, I will like do other stuff on my phone. And now your phone is like over there because you're getting the better camera from it. So I, I do wonder if like, that's going to be the big sticking point for a lot of people, but it's cool. It exists. It's cool. that Apple's like trying out these new things. Um, that's it. Ventura looks so much better than last year's OS. That was Monterey. Uh, Monterey was so boring. This is so much better. Um, we also got the iPad OS beta coming that has stage manager. And I feel like that's the main thing. Nate Ingram 
uh, previewed that for us. I do think Stage Manager on an iPad, like if you look at Nate's uh, coverage, like he basically, it gives you multi-window support uh, yes. for external display. So it, it looks like you have a multi-monitor system, to be honest. Like he, he has a big Mac monitor running yeah. off of an iPad and it looks like Mac OS. It's yeah. kind of wild. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's cool. I mean, I think that like we're getting closer to the iPad and iPad Pro, etc. Getting closer to really becoming that like laptop wannabe status. Sure. Where, where... Except it's heavier than the MacBook Air. I know. I don't. <laughs> does not make. They're sense. gonna make a better type cover. They're gonna make a better like folio. We're gonna we're gonna get there. We'll see. I don't. I, I don't know because like <laughs> to do the the folio covers, you have to have like the hinge. You have to have the mechanisms to hold the iPad there. So like. It is never – the iPad heavy, will yeah. never be as, like, self-contained as, like, a MacBook Air could be. It's just funny. I'm sure, like – I feel like the Mac design teams and the iPad design teams are just, like, Competing having, like, a little other. food fight. Like, look at what we ah. did, guys. Deal with it. iPad. You think you're so thin, iPad? Uh, look what we could do with the Air. Uh, one thing I'll point out for the Air, it still has a headphone jack. And I feel like I'm looking at that poor headphone jack and being like, your days are numbered, buddy, because they took away the headphone jack from the iPad Pro in like 2018, right? The iPad Pro is so thin because they don't have to worry about that like little extra space. So who knows how long that'll last on the air. And uh, I will definitely take away some points once it's gone. Uh, mm-hmm. But for now, the air is really good. Uh, anything you want to mention about WatchOS here? I mean, I think that like one thing I'm, I'm hearing throughout us talking about these things now is that like these OSs, all across the board are more exciting than they've been last year. Last year, iOS 15 was like, eh, SharePlay was cool. Everything else was meh. So this time around, iOS 16 is actually fun. It actually brings useful updates. I feel the same way about watchOS 9. Um, the beta actually brings some really useful uh, new features. For example, I mean, there's there's going to be like new lock screens every year. So this year, there was like Lunar, where it shows you the phases of the moon and also, you know, the time and date, uh, the date based on a lunar calendar of your choosing. I picked Chinese, because I'm Chinese, um, but there's also Hebrew and Islamic that you can pick. And on the screen, after I picked Chinese, when I was setting it up, it says the sixth month and fifteenth day. And on this, and it was July 13. Like so, so like it's that's cool. It's it's really hmm. cool that I could take a look and I immediately know the date on the lunar calendar because I know exactly how far away you are from Chinese New Year. It's great. Um, and uh, so that's just faces. You also get to like uh, add background colors to modular, for example, now. So just just a, a sort of visual refresh. But then when it comes to the functionality, workouts just got like a huge upgrade from watchOS 9. And yeah, I, I've been like a little too much into working out. But I really like that now with the cardio zone screen on any workout you track, you can see what heart rate zone you're in. Like Apple lists or, or depicts it as like a scale from one to five. And then as you're working out, it would change over to like zone one, zone two, zone three, horizontally it changes. It'll show you your actual beats per minute. Um, there's other screens that Apple added to the workout app too, like the activity rings progress view where I'm like, I don't care about my activity rings while I'm working out. I don't care if I'm taking <laughs> enough steps while I'm like doing this hit uh, yeah, workout. Yeah. Right. But, but, um, that's to me the most useless screen, but the cardio zone screen is nice. And then if you're a runner, you'll get a lot more like running form metrics. You get like uh, vers- vertical oscillation, all of that stuff. Uh, swimmers also get a bunch of, uh, updates. And then uh, that heart rate data is also being used to track while you sleep. And this is something I want to talk about. So sleep tracking, in watchOS has 
generally been atrocious. It's just not great compared to Fitbit to like Samsung. I have and something I think Fitbit's been doing for like a decade, like since so long, early yeah. Fitbits. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And they've been doing it surprisingly well. I mean, like I can't tell you if I was really in REM sleep when they say I'm in REM sleep because how am I supposed to know? But uh, at least Fitbit's been doing this for years. Apple is now just starting to introduce it with watchOS 9. And even then, you still need to have set up a, a sleep schedule, which means you need to tell your iPhone or watch that you're going to bed at 11 p.m. and waking up at 9 a.m. before it'll be like, oh, cool, here's when you were asleep. Like, no, bro, like, no. <laughs> yeah. And it'll miss, it'll miss the mark. Like, I've, I've done this testing before in, in, with older generations of iOS and watchOS where my sleep um, time is set to go to bed at 11 because that's aspirational. I do not go to bed at 11. I freaking get in bed at 2 a.m. or something all the time. And the, app, the Apple Watch is always like, Here's your eight hour <laughs> night of rest starting from 11 p.m. I'm like, no, girl, no. Um, <laughs> the watch should be smart enough to know, like, okay, you you are prone, you're laying down, you're not moving, yes. your heart rate is lowering. Like, I think she's going to sleep. Let's let's start a sleep cycle or something. Yeah. Right. I mean, I don't even care if the math is hard to work out. I care that Fitbit's been doing this without me inputting a sleep schedule for years. And they can't even get their act together to learn how to do this. Like, hire someone from Fitbit already. I don't know that they have. I think they have. But they, uh, They've stolen a lot of people. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like, how can you not have figured? Anyway, maybe there's a better answer there that I don't know that Apple has. Um, but anyway, watchOS has some good stuff in the workouts app. Um, there's some redesigned apps, some new lock screens. Um, if you have medication set up on the iOS 16 beta, medications also works on watchOS 9. Um but yeah, no, in, I haven't tested the sleep tracking on watchOS 9 just yet, just as I because I'm still kind of fuming about <laughs> sleep tracking in general, but also so the sleep schedule. I, I feel like this year's gonna, should be a pretty good watch, uh, Apple Watch updates too. Like, was it last year we got a slightly bigger screen? But I feel like more hardware, more sensors will probably come this year. And one thing I've been thinking about is like, I feel like, especially post-COVID too, um, having all this heart rate monitoring and health monitoring is super useful. Like something I noticed after I recovered from COVID is like my resting heart rate kind of increased by 10 beats. I'm like, oh, what's what's going on there? Um, there may be things, especially as people are dealing with long COVID and other like chronic illnesses maybe resulting from having it. Like there may be things that we should be able to, we should be looking out for and maybe a really smart uh, smart watch with more sensors can help us kind of deal with that. So it's something I've been thinking about, yeah. I mentioned this in my coverage of the iOS 16 beta 2 in the medication section, but we are like concerns about medical privacy are at an all time high, right? So like I I wanted Apple to lock the medication section away under like a passcode and it doesn't, right? So like as long as you're in the health app, you can use and see what sure. medications you're, but you're tracking. But you're you're authenticated to get into your phone, so they kind of assume yes. That much. But like for safety yeah. check, which is another feature they've added with iOS 16, you do re it does require an additional Face ID sign in before you can go in and like. Uh, like stop people tracking your phone. So I'm right, just like, right. do you did that for that, but not for medications, which I guess is fine. I don't know. No one. If you take the 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 uh, Plan B type of pill, you only do it once, so you're not going to track it all the time. I guess, mm -hmm. but. Um, with more sensors, like you're saying, on a device that could do more testing. I mean. I know that Apple takes your privacy more seriously than most, but I'm just mm -hmm. like, I, it makes me feel iffy sometimes. It's, I mean, all these things are iffy, right? If we were worried about that, then don't, don't wear any smart device. Right, exactly. exactly. To be honest. They're all like, iffy. That's, yeah. It's all iffy. I feel like maybe Fitbit or other, like other ones that are just exercise, 
are a little more centralized because it's not touching all your smartphone stuff, but we shall see. Okay. Those are our, those are just the betas we're talking about folks. So it's not even the full releases yet. There are going to be more features coming when these things are released in the fall. And uh, we'll be talking about all those. So enough Apple news, everybody. I wanted to talk about the first images we've gotten from the James Webb Space Telescope. This is the, you know, massive telescope, the infrared telescope that's out there orbiting a million miles from Earth, I believe. Uh, We talked about it several months ago when it launched. And joining us today to dive into this thing and these images that we've gotten from it is Lisa Grossman, astronomy writer at Science News. Hey, Lisa. Hi, I'm really happy to be here. (laughs) happy to have you. I'm always happy to talk about space, too, because it seems like, you know, we're so Earth-focused with our gadgets sometimes. I'm always looking down at my hands. I want to look up into the sky, and uh, I I feel like big space announcements are always a fun thing, especially when, like, it is um, everybody. You know, it it is a national event. It's an international event. Everybody's thinking about these things and thinking about our place in the universe. So we've gotten the first five images from the James Webb Space Telescope this week. Lisa, could you talk about, um, first of all, like, what did we learn from these images? What are we seeing? And uh, how significant are they, do you think? They're incredibly significant. So this telescope, (laughs) this huge gadget Mm -hmm. in space is, uh, you know, as you said, it's an international effort. And it's been in the works for decades. The, The first idea for this telescope as a successor to the Hubble Space Telescope was proposed in the 80s. And then it's taken many, many years to literally get it off the ground. There were delays, there were budget issues. And so it finally launched on Christmas Day. um, And then it had to take six months to get ready to actually take data. And it was it's too big to have launched all at once. So it was all folded up inside the rocket, and then it had to unfold itself like origami or like a flower opening up. And then they had to allow, it has a special mirror that's six and a half meters wide, and it's made up of 18 hexagonal segments. They all had to line up so that they were perfectly smooth together so they could act as a single mirror. And because it's so big and because it's so far away from Earth and it's in this special spot, it, and also because it, it sees an infrared light, it has this really unique view of the universe that shows us things that we have never seen before. So some of these are the deepest, furthest away objects whose light is reaching us from 13.3 billion light years away, or from 13.3 billion years ago. The universe is only 13.8 billion years old. So that's (laughs) like, that is definitely the farthest back we've seen. And it's getting pretty close to when galaxies began to become galaxies. Mm-hmm. I'd uh, recommend our listeners go back and listen to our episode, like when James Webb launched, because we dove into a lot of the specifics there too. Um, but yeah, thank you for that primer, Lisa. That's super helpful. Can you, um, first of all, we got five images. Can you quickly like jot down just uh, what, what are we seeing? What are the differences in the data like we've gotten so far? Yeah. So this, um, well, right now up on the screen, you're seeing Stefan's Quintet, which is a set of interacting galaxies. There's four of those galaxies are actually in kind of a gravitational dance. They're merging and swooshing past each other, and their gas and stars are messing each other up with all their uh-huh. gravity, um, pulling each other apart. And actually, the fifth galaxy, that's the kind of bright spirally one that's a little bit bluer than the others, um, just happens to kind of be in the same spot in the sky. It's closer to Earth than the other four. And this one is the Southern Ring Nebula, which is a gas, uh, expanding cloud of gas and dust that's fleeing from a dying star. And something that we could see in these images that we hadn't seen before is that there's two stars in the center of that image. In the, the one that's kind of red in the middle, you can see two stars right in the center of it. One of them is a white dwarf star. That's the one that died and, and sloughed off all the stuff that makes this like swimming pool uh, 
with the tendrils all around the, the edges of it. And the other one is a star that's um, less for less far along in its uh, evolution. So I think it's not dead yet. Astronomers thought that that was a binary system, but now we can actually see huh. both stars. That's interesting. There, there was a lot, I think that image too brought a lot of uh, comparisons to Hubble. Uh, you know that that kind of became the meme. Like, look at the difference between Hubble and James oh Webb. Oh my gosh! So yeah, I kind of I love when nerdy space stuff just becomes uh, kind of in the zeitgeist too. I grew up on Hubble images. I, I feel like we all did. Um, yeah, yeah me too. I spent a lot of time uh, when I was a kid just like checking out every single space book in the library and staring at those images and just like thinking about what it means for us. Um, you know, broadly, Lisa. It, this is giving us a deeper look than Hubble. Do you, do you think it's like among the many like astronomy, um, you know, discoveries or findings, um, how significant is, is James Webb and what do you think it's going to do for us like moving forward too? I think one of the cool things about this first set of images is that these are like, they made them without even really right, trying. Right. Some of these were only made with, I don't know, half a day of data, and they're doing the same thing that Hubble would have taken weeks We're seeing to the do. results of a week of, uh, of findings, I heard. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So there's going to be so much more. There are so many observations planned that are going to be looking at specific science questions. So this is, this is really just a teaser. This is a taste of what we're going to get, just to show that it works. And it does work, which is amazing. It works so well. Um, there, there were so many potential points of failure in this uh, carefully choreographed dance that the telescope had to go through. And um, I I am just really astounded by yeah. these images. I didn't expect to be so moved by them. It, it also, it's a, uh, it, it's also astounding too, because like, wasn't there uh, a meteoroid, a scare, like something hit James Webb, right? And even, even despite that the yeah. little bit of damage, it does seem like we're still getting a ton of great results. I don't know if they've uh, completely fixed the thing that was damaged. Uh, I don't think that there is a way to actually fix it. So it left a little pockmark in one of the mirrors and that was expected. I think it's been hit by five specks of dust and one of them was bigger and more energetic than expected. Um, and we don't know yet if it just got unlucky to get like one particularly big one in the first month of being awake um, or if we need to go back and, and reevaluate the expectations for how many of these we should get but like space is dusty, space is dusty. The, the big that big gold mirror is is really exposed you know and other telescopes have had like a, a tube around the mirror hubble was was protected by this tube james webb is just out there and and it's going to collect dust and that's going to be one of the things that will probably set the lifetime of the telescope um but they've planned for it they you know before they built it they um tested pieces of the mirror in a like a, a firing mm -hmm, range mm -hmm. basically and they like shot pebbles at it to see how badly it would do so they do expect it to be fine but it is going to collect gotcha. these little pockmarks and there's not a lot we can do about it I, i'd hope so like given that this is a system of like multiple mirrors too like i, I hope eventually like maybe there, there is a way to just fix specific uh things as they're getting damaged we don't have that capability right now it would be nice to see yeah they can I think that they can shift the mirrors to kind of avoid, uh, thing, you know, if you know you're going through like a meteor shower, they can move the mirrors, but only by so <laughs> much. So also want to dive into um, uh, President Biden made a big deal of the very first image. I believe it was uh, Monday night. Uh, he decided to like make this big announcement and reveal it. Uh, this is the SMAX 0723 image, the deepest look, uh, you know, the deepest look of the universe we've gotten to date. Um, this is what you were mentioning, Lisa, right? Like it's showing us um, the state of the universe over 13 billion years 
ago. First of all, what was your first reaction seeing this? Because I think for a lot of people, they're like, oh, yeah, a, a lot of stars, a lot of galaxies. What's the big deal, right? I think my, my first reaction was, oh, that kind of looks like a Hubble field. Uh, and then when I saw them side by side, I was like, oh, no, there's more, so much more clarity here. I really did need to see them next to each other to have that really sink in for me. But there are so many galaxies. Every point of light in there is a galaxy. And there's a lot, just so much sharpness to it and the ability to zoom in and see all this structure in the early universe is amazing. And the way that this... It's very much the, the 2001 thing, right? It's like, my God, it's full of stars. It's full of yeah. stars. Yeah, it's full mm -hmm. of galaxies. And the way that this was uh, produced, so the this MAX 0723 cluster is actually only four and a half billion light years from Earth. And it's acting as a lens. It's acting as like a second telescope. Um, so the light from galaxies even further away is getting bent around the mass from that right. galaxy cluster on its way to Earth. And that's how and you can kind of see this in the image too, right? Like it is curved. It is like streaking, um, kind of just kind of kind of wild, wild too. So can, can you just like it's hard to do with audio and with words, but can you give us a sense like how does a galaxy help us like get a deeper look into the into the universe? Um, so this was a thing that was predicted yeah. by Albert Einstein with general relativity that matter tells light how to move, or matter tells space how to how to shape, and then the, the shape of space tells light how to move. So as light travels through the universe, as it hits kind of an obstacle, it sort of bends around it, kind of like um, like a, a marble going around. Uh, um, you know those things in the science museum where the marble kind right, of swirls right. into the, uh, the hole? It's sort of like that. So the light is being bent in the same way that light is bent as it travels through a lens, like through my glasses, um, to get more focused by my... To, as on its way to my eyes. So the telescope is, is the you know, James Webb Space Telescope itself is getting a lot of light. And then the presence of this galaxy cluster that it's looking through is bending the light even more. And you can see this in the images with the really distant, some of these really faint reddish looking galaxies look like they're kind of stretched. They look like big, long taffy slugs. Um, and... <laughs> Uh, so those are the ones that are like the most distant. And the fact that they look like that is, is showing mm -hmm. that that gravitational lensing effect. Um, it's, it's kind of wild that you can see it. it's sort of like if you have, um, if you have a big, uh, you know, digital camera or something or a big camera and you can see like lens distortion too around the edges, that's kind of the effect we're seeing here. Um, what was your first reaction seeing this Lisa? Just because this is. This is kind of like mind blowing. This is an image that really puts your uh, your own uh, you know place in the universe in perspective. I think like I, I kind of spent a long while just staring at this, thinking deeply and thinking like I did as a kid, staring at those Hubble images. You know, like there's a lot to think about here. There's a lot of it, it is a good perspective setter on you know everything that I think matters so much in my day to day is like these galaxies don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I, I have always been interested in extraterrestrial life, and I feel like, I mean, these, these are all too far away. If anyone lives there, they're not seeing us. They're seeing maybe the sun as it's being born. The, you know, this, the, the galaxies in this cluster, um, are, their light comes to us from as old as the sun is. So there, no one there is going to say hello, but it feels like someone must be there. There must be some, <laughs> some other 
some other Something. life out there. It's sort of like um, take up all that yeah, space, it's, it's right? The extreme yeah. version of also like digging through fossils and finding dinosaurs, right? Like we're finding the fossils of the universe, fossil, yeah, fossil galaxies. galaxies. Uh, there, there was one. Um, one result was like the spectra, the spectrometer reading of an exoplanet, which the spectrum of the it exoplanet, is. Yes, it it is kind of fascinating. So we don't we don't get a look at it right like there there's an image going around that is kind of like a render of what that planet could be but we kind of knew it had water before it's also a super fast planet right it's going it's huge and it's going around its star like over what once every three days or so three and a half days yeah insane just you're you're on a ride on that planet but we learned that um yeah (laughs) there is there's a lot of water and also there are clouds what are the significance of that like water vapor clouds on this planet water vapor clouds um so yeah, earlier looks at this planet had seen that they thought it was a really cloudless sky. And that was part of why they chose this planet as the target for the first James Webb spectrum of an exoplanet. So a spectrum is the, um, you can split up light into many different wavelengths. So the star emits light in a range of wavelengths. And then as that light filters through the atmosphere of the planet, the molecules in the planet's atmosphere absorb some of that light. So that's what we're seeing is the starlight as it's being changed by the planet passing in front of it. And that tells us what is present in the planet's atmosphere. And the and something some features of the the way that that shows up can tell you if there are just molecules hanging out or if they're condensed in things like clouds or haze. So they thought this was a really clear skyed planet and that would be easy right. to look at, but it turns out with Webb's sensitivity and um, and and just the way that it can detect the the infrared wavelengths from these molecules, we could see that there are actually some clouds in this planet. I don't really know what that what that means for the existence of this planet. I think that's going to have that's going to be a subject of future research where they figure out okay, how did those clouds form? Why couldn't we see them before? How how low or high in the atmosphere are they? What does that mean? Um, so again, this is just you know, showing it's putting the telescope through its paces. It's it's showing off. It's showing what we can do. That's super cool. I mean, also thinking, speaking of exoplanets, like that, that is also a thing in, in our lifetimes. Like I think uh, when I was a kid, exopl- we didn't know about exoplanets. I do remember asking my science teacher in like fifth or sixth grade, like, are there planets outside this, our solar system? And they basically shrugged and was like, I don't know. We don't know. And then a couple of years later, we got our first, like in the mid nineties, we, we got our first hits of like, oh yes, we have confirmed exoplanets. And now we know they're, they're probably, uh, yeah, as many planets, uh, there are many, many countless planets out there along with the galaxies out there. And now we finally have a way to like, look at some of them specifically, um, rather than just like charting a shadow crossing a star. So we've made a lot of progress there too. Uh, what, you know, you said you were interested in extraterrestrial life, uh, Lisa. Like, I, I certainly am, too. Like, I, I want to know, like, certainly when – what do, you, what do you think it will take for us to find, like, signs of not necessarily intelligent life, but just, you know, we, we could find signs that these planets have life on them, right, using the spectrum readings in, in the future? Yes. If there are signs to be found in the planets that James Webb is going to look at, it will be able to see them probably. So this is this is a really good step towards. I, I don't want to overstate it, but but like this is a very big step towards being able to say yes, there's life That's or great. not. It, well, mm-hmm. no, it, it can't tell us if there's not life, but if there is life that is seeable, if we're lucky in how strong the signals are, and if we look at the right places, um, I, I think Webb is sensitive enough that it could see it. I guess the right word is that there was life <laughs> wherever we we end up looking, you know, at that time too. So it is. 
it's a whole like hard to hard thing to talk about too, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's an important thing to note that the the planets that we're looking at are all within our own galaxy. So so those are not billions of, of light years away. Those are Reachable. like maybe hundreds gotcha. of light years away, or tens, or four, or yeah. <laughs> that is something. That is something. Sherlyn, you've been very quiet. I just want to know: Do you have any do you have any questions before we wrap? I mean, I've been waiting for this segment to find out more about the pictures. Really, I mean, first of all. <laughs> They're much more colorized than you expect space to be. So that's something that I think we were talking about, Lisa, before the show, where these images don't just look like that. The space doesn't just look like that. These were processed by NASA, right? Yeah, especially with the these images in infrared light. Um, our eyes can't see infrared light. It's longer wavelengths than what our eyes can see. So if you were there you know, next to, this is the Carina Nebula on the screen right now, um, you couldn't see most of this. <laughs> like this would not look like this. Um, and when the images come to the, there's there's people at the Space Telescope Science Institute in Baltimore whose entire job is processing the images and making them look pretty, but also preserving the the scientific content in them. So they get grayscale black and white images, and then they have to say, okay, we have different filters that get different wavelengths of light. Let's make the shortest ones blue, the longest ones red. Pick some stuff in between, and and choose the different balances that make it pop like this, that, that tell you what is happening in these images, but also make it gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, and that's a good point, right? Because like Devinder was telling us before we started recording, it's already his wallpaper. I feel like a lot of people have seen these pictures and are, oh, that's my new, you know, Windows 97 wallpaper. Um, and, and yeah, people are fascinated by these. I mean, obviously for me, the most astounding moment was just that picture where you were like, those are galaxies. Those, like, I was like, those dots, that, that, that many of them, those are all galaxies. That's a lot. And it's ridiculous and it's wild. And I was just, I just don't have as much space nerdery in me as the two of you do. We, we got to get some, some more space nerdery for Sherlyn, but also like, <laughs> uh, hopefully this, just these images alone will inspire this generation and like countless kids to kind of do what we're doing. Like Lisa, it sounds like you were inspired as a child too. like, I was yeah, definitely a space kid. Seeing yeah. <laughs> these things. Uh, I dreamed of going to space camp, never could make it happen. Um, one thing we should talk about, there is, um, you know, there's a bit of controversy around the name, the James Webb space telescope, just because, um, a group of astronomers have brought up the fact that, you know, James Webb was NASA administrator during a time when the entire federal government, um, there, there was this thing called the Lavender Scare, where the federal, federal government was basically trying to uh, search and seek out uh, people, uh, homosexual people within the government because they, they thought they couldn't be trustworthy. They thought they could be security risks. It is uh, not a great time for America. And we don't know the full extent of Webb's like, involvement in that, but he was the head of NASA at that point. And that just means like it, it, he kind of knew what was happening. Um, NASA. It's actually mm-hmm. it's actually slightly worse than that. He was the head of NASA. He was the head of the state, or he was number two in the State yes. Department during the Lavender Scare yes. in the fifties. So it is not very plausible that he didn't at least know this was going yep. on. Yeah, not great, not great. Um, a, a group of astronomers uh, formed the Just Space Alliance to talk about this. They made a documentary that you can watch on YouTube. It's called Behind the Name James Webb Telescope. Um, oh man, they, they should have had a better title for that to really get people to understand the controversy there. But they, they, you know, these folks have brought up to NASA, like, Hey, we should, we should change this. And NASA's response so far has just been, nah, we're, we're not going to change this. We're not even going to discuss it. Um, Lisa, like from your 
like from what you're seeing, is this something you think NASA would ever consider changing or having a greater dialogue about this? I hope they have a greater dialogue. I think there's been a really disappointing lack of transparency about the efforts that they've made to figure out what reasons there are to change the name. They they did a study and they supposedly wrote a report. They have not made that report public. They just sent out basically an email saying like NASA administrator said it's yeah, fine. Yeah. And like that was that's, that's all. Um there have been some Freedom of Information Act requests. Um, Alex Witsey at Nature has done some great reporting on this, where they she uncovered you know internal emails and documents within NASA because NASA emails are are a public record because it's a federal agency. So um, we've seen some of the discussions of how how it went back and forth within NASA, how they decided to make this kind of non-announcement. And there were some archives that were closed due to the pandemic that are open now. So there is more research happening, but I just really wish that they would tell us more what their rationale is, because it really seems like the rationale is like, we don't want to. We, we don't want to <laughs> think about it. Uh, yeah. And that, that, you know, that makes the, uh, you know, LGBT astronomers and these people who have been calling for the name to be changed, just feel ignored and feel totally dismissed. Um, and it doesn't, my, my personal feeling about it, just speaking as a private citizen, is that I don't particularly care if James Webb himself liked gay people or not. There's a big gap between like honoring somebody. You know, we only have, this is, this is a once in a lifetime telescope. Who do you want to have their stamp on it? Every, you know, every, every, we, we were just talking about how we hope that this inspires kids coming up. What about the queer kids who are going to, or, or the people who are in astronomy right now, who are going to have this telescope's name on their careers forever. And there are going to be parts of the sky named after this telescope, like the Hubble Deep Field. There'll be the Webb Deep Field. And every time this comes up, I don't know, I just, I, I hate to think about queer kids in the future, Googling this and being like, wow, amazing space. Oh, and he didn't like gay yeah. people. Oh, no. So I, I think that is a compelling reason to at least reconsider. Mm -hmm. um, I, I feel like the government in general has to think about like, a lot of what they stood for during the 50s and 60s. And it wasn't great. It was not a great time. Um, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. I know you have to head out soon. Is there anything else you want to add about James Webb or like what you're looking forward to seeing? Because we're, we're going to keep seeing discoveries, right? They, they can just pump these things out yes. now moving forward. They are still taking, they've already taken more data. They're putting the data out out to the community, to the entire world. You can, this, this data belongs to everybody because it's a publicly funded telescope. You can download it if you, if you have these skills and play with it yourself. Um, they put a lot of it up on their archive just today on Thursday. And yeah, scientists are so excited. I am so excited. I'm going to write about this stuff for the next 20 <laughs> years. It's going to be great. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about this forever. Lisa Grossman, thank you so much for joining us. Where can we find your work on the internet these days? So I'm the astronomy reporter at Science News. So you can go to sciencenews.org. And you can also find me at AstroLisa on Twitter. Let's move on to some other news real quick. Uh, we got a couple of stories. So this is just a super busy week. Uh, but last week, I think it was after the podcast. Was it Friday? It was like the I Friday think. news drop, right? Where yeah. Elon Musk basically was like, uh, can I get a take backsies on this Twitter mm -hmm. I would, I would mm -hmm. like to return one Twitter, please. Um, yeah, he, he announced that he is basically trying to back out of his $44 billion deal to buy Twitter. A lot of people are saying this is because, well, he, he was going to pay with it with Tesla stock. And that stock is kind of tanked a little, too. So, yeah, his, his way of paying for it is gone. He's having, uh, you know, second thoughts. And now he's trying to get out of it. Uh, Twitter... 
uh, is suing Elon Musk uh, for attempting to back out of this deal. So go something Twitter. Go Twitter, I guess. Uh, I mean, first of all, Twitter Twitter was like, I, I, I want to say go Twitter. I also want to be like, you know, your leadership, your board was so willing to get into bed with this idiot that, uh, you know, this and is what, so this is what yeah. you got. This is what happens. Don't trust Elon Musk. Um, anyway, uh, we will see what happens here. We do know, like, uh, as part of the, there was a, uh, like, a no completion fee or something. Like, he would still owe a big chunk of money if the deal didn't go through. He's trying to say that Twitter has too many bots or they're not giving him the data about the bots. And that is why he cannot go through with the deal. It is just, it's just kind of hilarious. I don't want to talk about this stuff too much, but it is still news and still happening. We'll be keeping an eye on everything happening there. Uh, speaking of like, you know, major news that our readers are interested in, except <laughs> nobody in America can buy this phone, I guess. Uh, the Nothing yes. Phone 1, hands-on, we did. Yeah. So the Nothing Phone 1 has officially been launched, I guess. And this is the phone we've been following for a bit because people seem to be very interested in what Carl Pei, who was a co-founder of OnePlus, uh, has has kind of uh, broken off to set up his own company and make this phone. Last year, the company called Nothing last year made a pair of earbuds that were like, that had transparent casing. So the Phone 1 is the company's first phone. And it also well, has- Let me just say, those, those earbuds- casing. People, people were going crazy, like, oh, my God, transparent earbuds. We have never seen this before. And I thought this the entire internet, sorry, I thought the entire internet had gone crazy. Because are you guys <laughs> just so bored that somebody putting transparent plastic again on a device that functionally was not that much different than anything else? That's exciting to you. And again, the same thing's happening with this phone. And uh, yeah. hey, it has LED lights on the back. That's kind of cool. I just noticed that the LED lights on the Nothing phone basically make an apple shape. It's the yeah, Apple so logo. Yeah, so it's it's sort of the Apple. Yeah. There's a lot of like little things hidden away in this, right? There's the <laughs> Apple logo. There's like a little elephant at the bottom right of the case. It looks right, like right. Um, but but let's let's kind of like tell y'all more about this phone. It's a it's not going to be available in the U.S. So the, the the cost of it is actually in pounds. It's three hundred and ninety nine pounds, which is about four hundred and seventy six U.S. dollars, um, which makes it more of a mid range phone, right? So we're not going to expect like flagship level specs here. It's a dual cam thing as opposed to like triple camera. Um, there's but it like has LEDs on the back, so that makes it all. Yeah, better. you're paying for those LEDs, bro. Um, so speaking of those LEDs, yeah, the transparent case is part. I think part of the reason for that is all the all the lights that can shine through from from underneath the uh, from inside the phone and those those lights aren't just there to be pretty they also have some kind of like um they they there's a language that uh apparently nothing has called it the glyph interface like please give me more pretentious sounding words but glyph g-l-y-p-h um it's it it does some things like you can assign light patterns to some of your contacts uh you can oh, do different notifications yeah, i know it's like oh when when davindra calls me i want to go into like a fit i want to like you want to go strokes. to immediate like do not disturb mode yeah <laughs> yeah i just want to flash red just tell me never pick up my phone if davindra texts me or or there's also a light on the back that if you um are recording video it will turn red so like people on the other side of the room would know that the i guess you're recording video which i'm just like no thanks. I take so many shady videos in general. I do not need people to know. <laughs> You're actually the reason why they came up with this. This yeah, needs to be like, a new standard of just like, hey, alert. 
alert. Uh, there need to be red lights. To be honest, it is a weird thing that smartphones can just shoot video without like any alerts because cameras, video cameras, forever have had like the recording lights, and that that's been a way for you to know that hey you're being recorded and it's, we, we've just yeah. kind of entered a culture without that. Yeah. It's funny because when Snapchat launched its spectacles for the first time, everyone was like, no, 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 no. How are we going to know people are going to record us? I'm like, they're holding your, their phones up, you know, like yeah. that. But when out, you like, hold your phone up, like then you're like, okay, somebody's doing something. They're recording. Right. Um, but yeah, for glasses, I guess you also need that. The Google glass also had the red light and made you look like the Borg. That was fun. Uh, anything else you want to mention about this phone? Yeah, I mean, for $476, this thing has a 6.5-inch OLED screen that gets up to 120 hertz, which, like, uh, okay, they didn't want to... Mm-hmm. They, they, they sort of, like, um, scrooged a little bit on the, the Snapdragon 778 chip, even though it's a custom chip that should be better than the other, uh, the, the more generic 778 uh, chip. But there is a high-res... and oh Well, I'm not sure about the high-res, but it's a high-end screen here. Like, it's a screen that... Apple won't even put on the iPhone 13 yet. So. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Can the lights, I I see Matt Smith had mentioned this in his preview. Uh, Are the lights sort of like a little bit of a ring light too when you're taking videos? Like could you give you a little bit of light? Yeah. The the issue is that it's on the back of the phone. It's on the back, yeah. So I guess if you're shooting, yeah, if you're shooting someone else, it could be a little bit of a ring light. And it doesn't seem like the range is that great. But yeah, you could have some. I mean, a real TikTok pro showing would know that you use the rear cameras and you just like, you know, you just kind of know nah, where you center I'm your phone. I'm looking at my face all the time. I'm yeah, just looking at my you gotta, face. You gotta do that. Um, can, can this run on American networks? Like if you imported it, uh, will it work on cellular bands we hear? Not not that I can tell. I mean, I think you can probably get some form of 4G. You probably wouldn't get all the bands. Uh, you probably wouldn't get 5G. I'm not sure yet, actually. Um, but I'll double check. Yeah. I feel like this is this is a cool thing that people may want to import. I could also see like you know uh, just, m- just music artists, on. yeah, just to, just to have like the clout of being like, oh, you have a phone that doesn't look like anything else that's on the market in the U.S. That's kind of special. Um, it, yeah, yeah, seems cool. Um, I'll make a phone case. You know what? I have a phone mm-hmm. case that has a ring light on it. I'm good, y'all. You're good. You're good. Or like a bendable ring light that'll pop up for the front camera too. That would be nice. Uh, briefly, we also want to mention that uh, Peloton says that they're going to give up and building their own products, uh, something they started doing three years ago. That doesn't mean they're not going to have Peloton devices anymore. Bikes like or, the bike yeah. and the tread, they're still going to exist, but they're going to be made by other companies. I know you're, yeah, you've become like a fitness fiend, Trillin. Like, how do you, how do you feel about this? Is this just like a sign of Peloton getting too big for its britches, basically? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know the reason they're moving over mm-hmm. to third-party manufacturing. Their business has, got, think... has gotten kind of messy because of the pandemic, so yeah. Exactly. Given all the issues they've had in the past with, like, recalls and, like, killing kids and that sort of thing, and and killing uh, Chris Noth, um, they, 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 I think this is just another, like, intriguing development for me in the whole Peloton trying to make more devices saga, so we'll see. That's cool. Also, it's been Prime Day this week. Have you bought so much crap? Got so much crap. Uh, We've got a lot of deals over in Gadget. Valentina Palladino has been doing a great job of like collecting some of those. I've seen some good stuff out there. I also feel like I have too much crap in my life, and the only thing I get from these sales is baby gear. So I've gotten a bunch of that. What have you gotten, Trillin? Ah, beauty and face stuff. Just none, no tech, nothing tech. I'm burned out. I want. I did want to get the Kindle. Kindle was like going on like for almost fifty percent off. 
It was a good mm-hmm. deal. Uh, the paper white and also blink cameras, which I have personal issues with blink for sure, but they were going for like $30 for two, the blink mini. So those were some really great deals with Amazon branded devices. Um, and you know, a foot massager was going to be like 30 bucks instead of 50. Foot I was like, yes. Good. I also, I bought a pair of Crocs. Uh, they weren't fully on sale, but Crocs are on sale. So you want, you want some squishy shoes shoes uh i will say yeah if you're if you're you're listening or you're tuning in just send us an email telling us what you bought it'll be fun to see what everyone bought um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because people i do kind of hate how this has become sort of like basically uh, amazon's like we this is our christmas this is our time to have sales and you know celebrate us amazon uh it it is a weird thing um but there's some good stuff out there so you know i also like that companies like Companies like Walmart and uh, some other like retailers were also like, oh, I'm going to jump in on this. And then you can buy like stuff that's not from Amazon just in case you hate Amazon, but you still want to buy cheap shit. For sure. Uh, Every, everybody has to, like, to compete. Yeah. I do. I do appreciate that. I, I am a big deal hound, so I do like a good deal whenever I can find it. We did have some listener email. We, we got a really interesting letter from somebody. Do you want to read that, Sherlyn? Yeah. So we have a uh, we, we got an email last week from a person that didn't want to be named. Uh, they'd rather remain anonymous. And uh, it was about I'm not going to read it all verbatim, but basically this person who, 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 who explained that their preferred pronoun is he or him um, received a company wide email saying that there was going to be a bonus later on in the month. And the company in question is Lowe's, by the way. Uh, this person works for Lowe's or they say they work for Lowe's. Um, and then afterwards, they found out that this email about a bonus was actually a phishing test. So really, I mean, look, Devendra and I were talking about this. Phishing tests are not new. You know, a lot of companies run them on their uh, employees just to make sure. But no they, are annoying. they are lists. very they annoying. They are annoying. Very and annoying. And to, to, to explain for people who, who don't like uh, know what's going on here, a lot of companies, uh, especially right now, IT departments are worried about security and they're worried about people getting hacked. So what they do is they, they send out these little like sneaky, sneaky little tests. Like just they pretend to fish you in a message. And then you, if you click it, you get an alert saying, hey, we, we gotcha. And then then IT can come come at you and be like, you fell for this. And it's a whole thing. They don't actually steal your data, but it is a thing to show how uh, vulnerable you are. And maybe they could rope you into more training or something. Um, the ethics of doing that kind of kind of debatable. I'm not sure if that's the best way to teach people, but exactly. okay. This, this, yeah. just saying, hey, this- maybe you'll get extra money. And there, right. Lowe's is not the only company to do this. I've seen reports of this. Um, it's been going on for From like others. the past year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I, yeah. I do want to say that we we wanted to mention this on the episode too because a we want to acknowledge that this is a very insensitive means of you know testing your employees like you find any other use case don't say you're giving them money and then say haha gotcha like no it's not cool um uh and and to quote uh this listener uh you know many Lowe's associates myself included feel it's deeply upsetting in a downturn economy that they would send us a fake bonus email. Uh, and they sent pictures of the email, and they also sent link to a Reddit thread. Um, so this is, you know, it, it's happening. It's happening at a lot of big companies. Just don't, don't do it, okay? If you're a big company and you're like, hey, I'm gonna trick my employees by giving them good news that would make most employees happy, uh, and then telling them, psych, no, enjoy inflation. 
peace. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not just cool. super cruel. And I, I've used to work in an IT department. I kind of know how it is. Like some of these things just happen. And I'm sure the people up top, HR at Lowe's, like not everybody is aware of what's going to be tested. But I do think ethically people, especially IT people, got to think a little harder about how you're like manipulating the hearts and minds of the people you're supposed to be supporting. It's not a good way to teach them. Uh, but anyway, I really enjoyed this email. I want to have more email from Thanks. listeners. Yes, so, please send yeah. us more of your emails for sure. Podcastandgadget.com. Let's move on to what we've been working on. Um, God, I've just been doing all the Apple stuff. I've been basically writing nonstop like a crazy person since Sunday. Um, and only now do I have a time to like take a little break and talk on the mic instead. Uh, I will be writing up the story I mentioned before about AT&T's emergency response technology. There's some really cool stuff there that I want to get to uh, before I leave for paternity leave again in August. Sherlyn, what are you working on? Like you, I was writing all weekend until yesterday uh, for iOS and watchOS. And then I have been reviewing something that I can't talk about yet. And then finally, I am still working on this... Uh, a uh, story that I've been doing on behind the scenes that I can't tell you all about, but I'm excited to get it up. Uh, I, I, I see I see you're dropping in titles. And I, I am dropping just one more thing that we'll talk about. In uh, We've already talked about yeah. this one, but go ahead. <laughs> Let's move on to our pop culture picks. Uh, what, do, what do you got for me this week? Actually, I'm not too surprised. I see what you wrote down I've been- <laughs> This is very much a Sherlin pick. Yeah. I've been watching Sing 2 on repeat. So first of all... <laughs> on repeat. First of all, I know Illumination Studios uh-huh. has uh-huh. a whole other movie out that's driving people crazy. All right, y'all minions. We don't. People, we don't talk about that. You. I yeah, don't. don't yeah, I'm minions. not. Okay, great. Because I don't. I don't watch minions <laughs> anyway. But this from the same studios. Uh, Sing Two has been on Netflix for a bit, and basically the sequel to original Sing movie, which is about like a group of animals that put on this like singing show at this theater. Um, the sequel is they take their show on the road to Vegas, basically, and uh, I just look the plot. Oh my god, it's thin. It is so thin. It, it, is the music okay? Is it, is it but fun? the music is the music. The yeah. song choices are mostly really good. Some of the people can't sing. Some of the people can't act. You know what I mean? But like, they're the the songs have been so. I like it's a big like U two sort of like soundtrack. Uh, this really? Time around. I mean, yeah, it's it's Bono's in it. Bono is a uh, huh. he 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 voices it's what all them, the like, kids eight. want. More I know. I mean, kids look, this isn't. I don't think this is really a kids movie. But I will say it that is. I've been it's playing the soundtrack. Yeah. I guess. I've been playing the soundtrack on repeat. I've been singing along to Scarlett Johansson does a, a couple of very great renditions of U2 songs. Um, Taron Egerton is great as always. These two people, their storylines I liked. And then there were like a couple of storylines that were just very, very weak. I mean, I think they wasted Tori Kelly um, this time around. Who, but who, who is that? Is that a Tori singer? Kelly, she, she's just like a really great singer. Awesome okay. voice. She plays Mina cool. in the That's show, cool. the elephant character. Um, so... Don't I, did, watch I didn't this know Taron yeah. Egerton is in this. And I do want to say, like, I, I love that guy because he could just he's kind so of do good. everything. He's just he is funny, yeah, good action he's guy. So talented. Uh, probably in the running for being the next Wolverine too, which uh, if they sure. were bringing uh, mutants back. And then I was reminded he did a movie with Hugh Jackman, the the like skiing movie. So it's like it is really funny oh, yeah, that yeah, they yeah, yeah. they kind of have the same vibe. They're both like uh you know kind of muscly guys that can do fun silly things like singing and dancing too. Right, show and tunes action. and stuff. Right, it right, is, right. It's just funny. Anyway, uh, shout insane. out to Taron Egerton. I think he's he's pretty cool. 
Agreed. Good Reese God. Witherspoon is also in this. I'm not that big of a... I'm not a fan of the singing she does in this <laughs> one. Uh, but she did great on the first one. And then Matthew McConaughey, obviously, as the main... Uh, the, the leader of the group, uh, Buster Moon. But but anyway, again, like I was going to say, don't go the, into this expecting like great plot. But it is... like There are some storylines here that are genuinely moving. I like the storyline they're doing with Bono's character, which is about grief and overcoming grief, um, which, is, which is really touching. I cried like a baby at the end. So, yeah. I enjoyed seeing too. If you like music at all, I think you will too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is this basically because you'd mentioned Matthew McConaughey's in this as the leader? Is this basically Magic Mike with a- singing animals? I guess. Yeah, but no, no, but like the, the <laughs> dancing is just not very so, very so different great. kind of a movie. Yeah. yeah, very very different. I wish I can't. No, I don't know. I don't wish. Have you seen a Magic, Magic Mike? Mike is like XXL? a whole. Have you seen the I've second seen Magic all Mike? the Magic Mikes? Okay. It's it's come on. That, that's a fun movie. I want to quickly shout out. Uh, I had mentioned Tuken Birdie season two last week, but I didn't realize season three was coming so soon. Season three is on HBO Max right now. It's airing on Adult Swim. The first two episodes are up. Uh, still good. Still good. I'm glad the show is going. I was really worried after Netflix canceled it. Um, really, like also out of nowhere because Netflix has had a lot of like bad cartoons uh, before yeah. they started killing their animation. I'm not sure why they didn't like give this one more of a chance. Uh, but Tucker Brady, still great, still very sweet, still very much relevant to being, you know, an, an adult, or especially like an adult in your, in your 20s and 30s and trying to keep your life together. It is very much about that. Also want to shout out Thor, Love and Thunder, um, which I guess you yep. saw in early preview, Sherlin. Good for I you. Did. But I uh, it's, uh, I, I thought it was pretty good. I, I, I know it's not as innovative as Ragnarok, but what did you think, mm-hmm. Sherlin? Yeah, no, no, no. The thing that I couldn't say when I was talking about this on an earlier episode was that, like, in general, I watched it. We, me and my friend watched it, and we walked out, and then we started talking about literally anything else but the movie. And we were, afterwards, <laughs> we were like, oh, didn't we just watch a movie? So we did were like, it's watch kind a movie? of... Yeah, it's kind you know. of forgettable in that sense. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. almost, you know, it's not a movie that stays with you afterwards, but it was a good ride. I really enjoyed the music. Um, there was some Christian good, Bale's like, great. Christian Bale's real good. He was really good. And I also didn't so know good. the entire Hemsworth family was in this movie. <laughs> well, they, they were. So the other Hemsworth was in the last movie, too. Like secretly, yeah. him and Matt Damon yes. were, the, were the people on stage. Um, so that, that was fun. Yeah. I, I, I'm yeah. not, they didn't need to give those characters more lines. They should just be in yeah. the background. Um, yeah. maybe this movie is a, a lot of good, too, like, mm-hmm. it's a lot, I'm sorry to cut you off, but like, there's no, it's it's a lot of like in jokes for people who've either seen the first, the scene Ragnarok or also have been watching, um, the TV shows. Right. Yeah. So like, too if many, you're on Disney plus too many, in-jokes, too many yeah. in jokes, cause the, if you watch the, um, shots, the Marvel one shots, right. There's one that's a series of like Thor goes to Australia and like, you know, chums it up with this random accountant guy. That guy shows up in the movie. Like I'm like, all yeah, right, that fun. cool. That's fun. It's fun. Yeah. It's just like you. It adds fun if you're like really into this the universe. I totally then, forgot he showed up in this movie. Yeah, he did. That was yeah. the whole thing. Oh, it's great. Uh, I thought it was quite fun. What, what, one thing I'll say, Ragnarok was a lot of fun. This movie tries to be fun and also balance some serious stuff, and I think that is where maybe it kind of falters. But Christian Bale, so good, like so scary. I think he is probably one of the scariest Marvel villains we've seen, at least with the makeup and how just how good of a performer he is, and also. I, I think there are some good emotional beats here where yes. you, you may not, not everybody may click with it, but I will say as somebody who spent uh, 10 days basically in isolation with my daughter when mm-hmm. we got COVID, she got COVID and I got COVID because I had to take care of her. Um, that idea of like 
Christian Bale's character is very sympathetic. I think in terms of like what he's doing, even though he goes to extremes and I kind of, I kind of had some of those feelings and Mm. I saw this like right after we were coming out and I was, you know, we were recovering. So I was able to go back to theater. Um, But I definitely had those feelings and it just seems like really appropriate. I think the, there's a lot of kid stuff in this movie that is really interesting and where it ends I did tear up a little bit because I thought it was very, very sweet. There's a very sweet, like, conversation and setting that happens in the very final scene that mirrors something that I do every single morning. And it's very, very Aww. sweet. So I will say, I think in, yeah, it is one of those things. But I, I, I liked it. It is not as fun as Ragnarok, but you know, so, so it goes. Well, that's it for the episode this week, everyone. Thank you as always for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. This podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at... At Devendra on Twitter, and I chat about movies and TV at the Filmcast at thefilmcast.com. And actually, this week, I'm also guest hosting This Week in Tech for Leo Laporte. So uh, tune in Sunday night at twit.tv. I'll be there, too. If you want to send me videos of animals singing beautiful covers to songs, I'm at Sherlyn Lowe <laughs> on Twitter. Email us your thoughts at podcast.engadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes. And subscribe on anything that gets podcasts. I've seen all the magic mics. Come on.